Now for our scripture reading, I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4 can be found on page 55 in the Pew Bible. I'll be reading verses 1 to 17. And the last sermon on Exodus was, what, two weeks ago, uh, where we looked at chapter 3, and I had mentioned at that time that chapters 3, verse 1, to chapter 4, verse 17, constitute one large section. And so we looked at chapter 3 last time, and we're looking at the second half of this larger section, beginning at chapter 4, verse 1. So the sermon title is the same as last time. Uh, The Lord visits his servant, that being Moses. So let us now hear God's word. Exodus chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people. And he shall be your mouth. And you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Thus far the reading of God's holy word may it his blessing upon the preaching and teaching of it. Congregation of Christ, God revealed himself to Moses. He visited Moses on God's mountain, Mount Sinai or Habor or Horeb rather. And it is there at the mountain where God commissioned 
Moses to be the Savior of Israel, lowercase s. To be the Savior of the people, to deliver the people from the bondage of Pharaoh and Egypt. In chapter 3, Moses is confronted by a holy God. And he has great fear. Great fear overwhelms him. When God commissions him, what does Moses then do? He begins to protest. In chapter 3 is recorded two protests against God's call in his life, which we looked at last time. Well, now in chapter 4, verses 1 to 17, there are three more protests. Three more. The first protest in chapter 3, Who am I, Lord? That is, Lord, I am unfit for service. Look at me. (laughs) I'm 80 years of age now. Who am I? To deliver your people. You saw what happened last time and how I had to flee to Midian. I'm unfit for this service. And then the second one, well, who shall I say sent me? I am who I am, says the Lord. Tell them the I am sent you, the self existent, the changeless one, the one who is pure being, who does not change, but who is always, who is always the I am. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 17, we look now at the three protests, the last three protests. First, Moses doubts that he will be heard. He doubts, key word, he doubts that he will be heard. Who is they? Well, this protest number three, Moses answered, Behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. Who is they? Moses doubts that the people of Israel, and I would also dare to say that Pharaoh himself, that they refers to everyone whom they will talk to and speak to, will not believe him and listen to his voice. The word listen there also gives the meaning of obey. That's very important. When you tell your child, listen to me, you're not just telling them to use their ears to listen to what you're saying. You're actually saying what? Listen and obey what I'm saying. And that's exactly what Moses is doubting, that they'll hear him, but they won't listen. They won't obey him. And so there's a direct correlation between what we hear and what we, and how we obey it. Between believing And obeying. Believing without obeying is not believing. You follow me? For example, pastors preach the word of God. At least we hope they do. Will the people believe the message of God's word? And if they believe, then they'll obey it. By the power of the Spirit's Spirit's work in their lives. 
Moses doubts the people and Pharaoh himself will listen and obey that word. And consequently, they will not trust Moses to be the prophet of God. Ultimately, not trusting God himself. Because he who does not listen to the prophet of God is not listening ultimately to who? God himself. Right? They'll doubt his office of prophet. So Moses protests, they're not going to listen to me. They probably heard what I did to the Egyptian and how I killed him and buried him. They probably heard how I ran away to the land of Midian and now I'm a shepherd. You've heard of from rags to riches. Well, Moses went from riches to rags. Shepherding sheep that were not his own at the age of 80. And God responds. And notice how he responds. Moses doubts, but God doesn't rebuke him. Rather, God promises to Moses that he will validate Moses' office of prophet. He will provide three signs to validate Moses' office before the people. We see this in verse 8, or verses 5 of our text. You look in your Bible with me. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Verse 8, if they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. I will give these signs so that they may believe that I have visited you, appeared to you in holiness. And have sent you, Moses, to be my prophet. Three signs. Number three is very interesting in Exodus. How many plans did Pharaoh have to get rid of Egyptian sons? Three. How many signs will he give? Will Moses be given by God to prove that he is the prophet of God? The son that was rescued from the Nile. And so the first sign Moses will receive is that the staff will turn into a snake. Throw the staff to the ground, Moses, and it became a snake. And what happened to Moses? Moses feared. He jumped back. He ran from it. When it became a serpent, he ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. Well, I learned this recently that you don't catch a snake by the tail. You catch it by the neck. Why the tail? Well, some interpreters believe that the snake was associated with Pharaoh and the devil himself. The Pharaoh's headdress, his crown, had a cobra that came out in front. And it was a symbol of royal authority. And of course, we know back in the garden that Satan manifested himself as a serpent. There was a sign of curse that came along with the snake. 
catch it by the tail. Catch Pharaoh and the devil by the tail. Now, is it clear? Not sure. But what's clear about this is that when the Lord tells Moses to throw down the, the, the staff and it becoming a serpent, and he commands Moses to pick it up by the tail, we see a demonstration of God's power and might. That's what's clear. That God has the power over creation and nature, all things created. And he's showing in Moses that he will be his prophet. He will be as God to the people. He will be as God. And then Moses, if they will not hear, listen to that sign, I'm going to give you a second sign. Put your hand inside your cloak. And then when he takes out his hand, it becomes leprous like snow. Put it back in, take it out, it's restored. Leprosy was very common in the time, in this time period and in biblical times. And it's not clear what kind of leprosy it was because leprosy covered a whole host of skin diseases. But what's very clear is that it was leprous like snow. It was very significant. It was a very serious disease that the people knew about. Think about it. In those days, they're under the sun. They're very tan, dark, colored. And you take out your hand and it's white like snow. Here again, God has the power and authority and ability. Now listen well. The power and authority to not only infl inflict the disease, but also to restore the disease. To inflict it upon Pharaoh and upon the enemy, but also to bring restoration and healing. He has the power to judge, and he has the power to heal and restore. God has the power. God is merciful and gracious. Show by this sign who I am. Who I am. Have you read Hannah's prayer? God has the divine right and power to bring down and to raise up. This is who God is in his power and might. And there's a third sign, if needed. If needed, which in fact is closely related to what? The first plague. And that is take the water from the Nile and throw it on dry ground and it shall become blood. If the first and second sign do not convince the people, then he will validate Moses' office of, of prophet with a third sign. The Nile River, which is the stench of death from the death of the Hebrew sons. Where the Hebrew sons were murdered will become blood. God will take in the first plague the water of the Nile, and turn it into blood. And showing the God of the Nile is nothing compared to God who has life and death in his hands. Jesus holds the keys to death and Hades. Jesus is king and Lord. Jesus is a true prophet of God. 
Moses was a prophet and he protested. But Jesus Christ is the true prophet of God of whom Moses spoke of. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me among you from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. He says also, I will raise up for them a prophet like you among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Jesus, unlike Moses, does not doubt. He does not protest, but willingly. The word of God willingly assumes human flesh, takes on human flesh. To be the prophet, the prophet of God. And he will be known for his prophetic mission to teach the way to God through his life, death, resurrection and ascension to the right hand of the Father. His prophetic mission was accompanied with what? A great multitude of signs and wonders. He not only proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught the way to God through his own cross, through his own life, but his life was accompanied with miracles, with wonders, with signs to demonstrate that he indeed is the son of the living God. And in John chapter 10, Jesus rebuked the leaders saying, if I am not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. And what happened? Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. I always love those phrases. He just escaped. <laughs> How he does that is amazing. But they sought to kill him because what? He associated himself with the Father. He was one with the Father. Moses will be to the people as God or like God. Jesus, the Son of the living God, is God in human flesh. And they will see his wonders and works, his signs, and not believe. Moses doubts, Jesus fulfills. But even through a flawed prophet like Moses, God will fulfill his purposes and plan. Protest number four. Moses doubts his ability to speak. Look with me in your Bible at verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Moses doubts his ability to speak. And to confront Israel, to speak to Israel, and to confront a man like Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Who am I, Lord, to speak on your behalf? For I am not an eloquent man. Literally, I'm not a man of speech. 
literally. I'm not a man of words, literally. Was Moses making excuses here? He said that he was never a man of words in the past. Is this true? I wonder. Because if you look at Stephen's speech in Acts chapter 7, listen to what Stephen says of Moses at verse 22. And Moses instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. Moses was raised in the school of the Egyptians, and he knew how to speak a couple different languages. Now it's been 40 years since Moses was in Egypt, and he has been a common shepherd, and out of the limelight of Egypt, no longer a prince of Egypt, but a shepherd of sheep, a shepherd in a foreign land. So perhaps Moses, being out of touch for so long, is thinking now he's not adequate. That could very well be true. When you're out of, out of touch, kind of like a foreign language, if you don't use it, you what? You lose it. But what does God remind? What's his response? Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. In other words, Moses I am the Lord and creator. I made you for this purpose. I will give you the words to say. He promises to be with Moses. Promises to be with Moses. Do not doubt, in other words. Believe me. Believe me. Don't we have these same doubts? Oh, I can't talk to my neighbor. I don't have the words. I'm not eloquent enough. I'm not a man of words, a man of great learning. I'm not a man of words, and I don't have the ability to, to speak to my neighbor about what Christ has done for me. Send someone else, Lord. My other Christian neighbor can share with this neighbor. Do you have those doubts? You see, we're not all too different from Moses, are we? When it comes to these protests. But again, Moses is a flawed man, isn't he? He's a reluctant servant of the Lord. Jesus, however, is a willing servant of the Lord and the final prophet of God who spoke every word of God and he spoke with great authority. The people of Israel were amazed by the way Jesus spoke and the miracles that he performed because he is the greater Moses. And God the Father himself says from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. The author of Hebrews says, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. God at the right time sent forth his Son to visit 
his people, to appear to his people with divine signs and a divine message. Are you listening, friend? Which person has your ear? Does the world have your ear or does God have your ear? Do you listen to the voice of the world or the voice of God in Christ? Moses receives this promise of God. I will be with your mouth. I will be with you. I will anoint you with my word, with my spirit. By the power and indwelling of the spirit, the prophets and apostles of Christ were able to preach the word and truth of Jesus. Were they not? We too have been granted the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to speak the word of God to one another and to our neighbor. You have a word to say to your neighbor because you are a Christian anointed by God to be prophets, priests, and kings. When God calls us to difficult tasks, he doesn't leave us with our natural abilities to accomplish these things. No, in fact, it's quite the opposite. When he calls his people to our particular task to accomplish his purposes, he gives his people the spirit of power to do the work of ministry. If you are doing a work of ministry, he gives you the gifts and abilities and power of the spirit to accomplish his purposes. So that we do not rely on our natural abilities but our, our abilities that are empowered by the Spirit of God. For even the abilities we have have been given to us by a gift. In all things, he receives the glory and honor and praise for let he who boasts, boast in the Lord. In this protest, he doubts his ability to speak. And in fact, in the first four protests, Moses is essentially doubting his God who is great and has the power to do all things to the glory of his name. Moses' problem isn't that he doesn't trust the Lord who has visited and appeared to him. He ultimately doubts God who has the power to accomplish his purposes in times of insurmountable or impossible circumstances. And after four protests, one might think after God responds in such a way that he would say, all right, I got it. I figured it out, Lord. You're all powerful. You're almighty. I get it. I'm going to trust in you. What does he do? What does he do? Send someone else. The fifth protest. Moses refuses God's call. Here's a man who's been visited by God himself, the giver of every good and perfect gift. And he calls Moses to be savior of Israel and to speak God's word. And God gave him many convincing proofs that he will be with Moses and use him in this mission. And Moses says he's not up for the task. Like a child, do I have to? Really, Dad? Come on. 
Send someone else. Make Johnny do it. There's a Hebrewism here in the original language. And it could be translated this way. Send anyone but me. That's what he's saying. Send anyone but me. And before we are quick to point at Moses in the chest and say, you fool, what are you doing? Get your act together. Let us look in the mirror. Let us look in the mirror. How often do we as Christians respond to the Lord in like manner? When we know the calling placed upon our own lives to give testimony to one another and to our neighbors of his salvation, we say, oh Lord, send someone else. Send someone else to share the gospel with pagans and heathens. I want nothing to do with them. Send someone else other than me to demonstrate love and compassion toward a wayward sinner. Send someone else. In the late 1700s, William Carey was a newly ordained minister, minister in the Baptist church, and he stood up and argued for the value of overseas missions or foreign missions. And as he was making a case for overseas mission, an older minister abruptly interrupted him and said this, Young man, sit down. You're an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he'll do it without consulting you or me. Such thinking goes against how God works. God uses people. He uses you and me to accomplish his tasks, his purposes. God saves his people through preaching and teaching his word, through the ministry of the word and its very various administrations. And he uses people, not just pastors, or professors, or teachers, but he uses you, Christian, to give witness, testimony to his word and truth. Do you say in opportunities that arise, send someone else? There's a missionary documentary that I saw many years ago when I was at Moody, and it was called Etau, which is this tribal word uh, that means it is true. And this, it's a documentary about a missionary couple who was rejected by most missionary organizations. But this missionary couple was so impelled, compelled, so compelled to do the Lord's work in this native third world land, a very tribal land. Complete, there's completely no access to civilization we're talking roughing it. But they were so compelled to do it. And every mission organization denied them. But they believed God was leading to them. So one church said, we're going to send you. We're going to send you. Because we believe, too, God is compelling us to be part of this work. So they go to this village, this tribal, remote village. And in the course of time... They go through the entire, entire Bible with the people using various different met methods in communicating because of the language barrier. And the whole village was converted to Christ. 
the whole village was converted to Christ. Fascinating documentary. Why do I bring it up? The couple could have said, Lord, send someone else. Send someone else. Well, at this point, Moses has no grounds or justification for his refusal to follow God's will and call upon his life. Verse 14, God was angry with Moses. Angry, but he doesn't abandon Moses. I'm I'm angry, but I'm going to be with you. I'm going to even give you help. I'm going to give you help. Look with me in your Bible. Verse 14. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not error in your brother the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. He's already on the way. You catch that? Present tense. He's coming. The Lord knows Moses' heart. And he knows he's going to need Aaron, his brother. And he has a plan. To help Moses in his calling. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. Moses will be the mediator between God and Aaron. Moses will be God's vicar. The mediator. The representative. And Moses points to the perfect mediator, the perfect representation of God, who is God himself in the flesh, Jesus. And I want to close with this. Look with me in verse 17. This is very important because it started off the first sign with the staff. Look what he clo- how he closes this section here in his visitation with Moses. And take in your hand this staff which with, you, with which you shall do these signs. In other words, don't forget the staff, Moses. In chapter 4, verse 20, it is called the staff of God. Moses, don't forget the staff. A staff that would be called the staff of God. Because with this staff, you will shepherd my people. Moses, you traded in the pleasures and treasures and sins of Egypt for a shepherd's staff. You will take up my staff and lead the people out. You will take my staff and part the Red Sea. You will take my staff and hit the rock in the desert and out forth shall come water. With my staff, you will do many mighty works, for you will be the shepherd of my people. Who do you think Moses 
is a type of. The one who is the good and great shepherd of the sheep, who loves you so much that though we are reluctant to follow the Lord and his leading, though we are the ones who feel unfit, incapable, slow to speak, not people of words, isn't it God's business to take people like you and me, sinners, incapable of doing spiritual things to make us into a people who do his work for his glory? Doesn't he take jars of clay to do his work? We look to the good and great shepherd, the one who says, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Christ has laid down his life for his sheep. In his death on the cross, he laid down his life, shed his blood for the sheep, so that his sheep are delivered from the bondage and tyranny of sin and the devil. By his staff, he leads and guides us. By his staff, he corrects us disciplines us in love, leads us on paths of righteousness. Do you know this Jesus? Do you know this good shepherd of the sheep? How do you know him? You know him through the holy word of God. Not what you conjure up in your mind or who you think you know about, what you know about Jesus, but you know about Jesus through his word and the teaching and preaching of his word. Not who we want Jesus to be, but who he really is. We want a shepherd made out of our own image and likeness. No, you need a shepherd for who he really is and what he really does for you. That's what we need. That's what we need. He leads the people with God's staff. For he is God in the flesh. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus took up God's staff. So that you would always and ever dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you that the greater Moses, the prophet who was prophesied in the Old Testament, has indeed come in the flesh. The word of God who was made flesh and dwelt among us, true God and true man, 
the Lord Jesus Christ who came to speak the very word of God, the way to life eternal, the way to a relationship with the Father, the way to peace and comfort and hope, the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one comes to the Father except through Him. O Father in heaven, we pray that you, O Lord, would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hands and feet that walk in the way of the Lord Jesus. That we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers of it. That you would grant to us believing hearts that respond in obedience to what we have learned and known concerning you, Father. Oh, Father, help us, we pray. Help us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Trusting that the gifts that you have bestowed upon each and every one of your people are gifts from your fatherly hand to be used in service of your kingdom. For you have not given us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and might, because the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, dwells within us and enables us to fulfill the calling that you have placed upon our lives in service in your kingdom. Bless us, we pray. Lead us and guide your church in the truth and wisdom and light of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.